This morning's sermon text also comes to us from Job, the 38th chapter, and we'll begin reading in verse 34 and read through verse 41 of Job 38, where we find these words from God himself. Can you lift up your voice to the clouds that a flood of waters may cover you? Can you send forth lightnings that they may go and say to you, here we are? Who has put wisdom in the inward parts or given understanding to the mind? Who can number the clouds by wisdom? Or who can tilt the water skins of the heavens when the dust runs into a mass and the clods stick fast together? Can you hunt the prey for the lion or satisfy the appetite of the young lions when they crouch in their dens or lie in wait in their thicket? Who provides for the raven its prey when its young ones cry to God for help and wander about for lack of food? And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, where were you? I've noticed as I've gone through my life that occasionally I'll encounter someone who thinks they know all the details of a situation, who thinks they know every little thing that happened at a certain meeting or everything, until you ask the question, where were you? And it turns out they weren't there. Now, I'm quite certain that a lot of us could watch certain events on TV yesterday, and we think we know everything that happened in certain places in this nation But I promise you, when all the folks get back from those places, they're going to tell us a whole lot of things that the TV cameras just didn't pick up. We weren't there. Uh, We kind of vicariously celebrate or lament whatever happens, but we weren't there. Now, to this point in the book of Job, uh, you have Job and his uh, three friends to begin with. The fourth friend shows up later. You kind of have to wonder about friends when you read some of what they say. Uh, commiserating, lamenting, debating, arguing about what all has happened in Job's life. Uh, Why did all of this happen to him? Why did he lose everything he had? Why were his children taken from him? Why did all of this stuff happen? And essentially you have three friends saying, well, you probably did this to yourself. You sinned or something and God's putting the holy smite on you and everything. Job essentially saying, I didn't do anything wrong, and eventually gets to the point where it's almost as if he's saying, okay, I know I didn't do anything, so it must be God doing something bad to me and all this stuff. You have another guy who shows up and says, well, look, you need to keep in mind that God is God, and he does what he pleases. And keep in mind that none of these people were there in chapters 1 and 2 when Satan appeared before God and challenged him to take away his protection from Job. They weren't there. They didn't have the conversation. They didn't participate in any way, but oh my, they have plenty of things to say about it. Have you ever noticed that every so often you encounter somebody that has plenty of stuff to say and has absolutely no idea what they're trying to convey? They've got plenty of words, but they they don't have a clue what they're talking about. Uh, I've run, run, in, run into some of the, these folks that, that, uh, that yeah, that, that they've got plenty to say about this computer thing or that computer thing, and it makes perfect sense to them until they start talking to somebody that's been doing it for about 23 years. Or you run into somebody that can tell you all, this, all there is to know about your job except for the fact that they've never done your job. Yeah, I heard an amen there. Yeah. Uh, well, 
at this point, we've heard a whole lot of stuff in the book of Job about God. We've heard a whole lot of things about what God will do and what he won't do, why he would, why he wouldn't, all this stuff. But now, in chapter 38, God shows up. And when God shows up, all of a sudden, everything begins to make just a little bit of sense. Not a whole lot, because God, frankly, doesn't explain to Job why he's done anything. God doesn't owe us an answer. But God shows up anyway. And in God's showing up in that whirlwind, we have one of the greatest expressions of God's grace that you will find in all of Scripture. Because, once again, God didn't know Job an explanation, but he shows up, and he shows up and tells Job, I love you. As you read, this, read the passages 38 through chapter 41, you see time and again where God, by his very presence, reveals his love for Job. And in a real sense, reveals his love for us as well. So, the Lord answers Job out of the whirlwind. Now, whenever you see God showing up in Scripture at all, it usually means something, something majestic is about to happen. It usually means something completely mind-blowing, completely beyond human comprehension will happen. And at this point, given the fact that there are so few theophanies, appearances of God, recorded in Scripture, the fact that God shows up at all shows, reveals something about His love for Job. So God shows up, and then one of the first things He says, really does show Job and his friends we're in trouble. Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? In other words, who is this that's saying all this stuff about something they don't know, they don't comprehend? And keep in mind that Job and his friends are known as wise men. They're among the wisest men in all of their lands. They're, they probably had read all the wisdom literature of all the civilizations around them, probably written some of it themselves. And they, so they knew about wisdom. We're not talking about a bunch of dummies sitting around, or even worse, a bunch of fools uh, spouting off about stuff they don't know. No, we're talking about people that had studied wisdom, that had learned wisdom, that had read it, that had taken it in, and should have known better than what they were, had said. And God says, essentially, you don't know anything. And I promise you, when he said those words, who is this? All of a sudden, somebody said, ugh, I hate to admit it, but that's me. So, gird yourself like a man. Dress for action like a man. I will question you, God says, and you make it known to me. In other words, in the popular phrases of today, Okay, buddy, man up. Man up and let's see who really does know what's happening here. So, how will, how will God start? Where will he start in asking Job anything about the mysteries of the universe? One of my professors, Elbert Beeson, was fond of saying that when the Hebrews had nothing else to praise God for, they praised him for creation. And when you get into the Psalms, you start to see that a lot. You'll see where they'll praise God for the creation of the heavens, declare the glory of God. And they'll praise God about everything that He has done. Well, God starts at the very beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. As the ancient creeds tell us, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of all that is, seen and unseen. And God essentially starts at the beginning. He says, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? 
Where were you? You tell me if you really know what's going on. You tell me who determined its measurements. Surely you know. Or who, no, who stretched the line out? And essentially God uses a figure of speech here. It's not that Job didn't know about the, about the creation stories that we find over in Genesis because uh, well, once again we're not sure when Job was written. But no, Moses didn't, didn't write anything that people hadn't already known. So we know that Job was familiar with this, but now God's going back, is giving Job a new twist on things, almost like building a building. Okay? Where were you when I, figured, when I decided how big to make it? Where were you when I laid the foundations? Where were you when I measured everything out? Uh, okay? Where were you where, okay, when I laid the cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Well... Guess what? We weren't there. None of us knows how God created the heavens and the earth. We know only that He did. None of us knows knows exactly what process He did. Did He kind of tweak something here, or do something there, or something like that? God spoke, and there it was. It's one of the greatest doctrines of our faith, what they call ex nihilo, out of nothing. God started with absolutely nothing whatever, and when He spoke... It became. It was. And y'all, we weren't there. Adam and Eve don't come along for a while. Go back and read Genesis 1 and you'll find out Adam and Eve don't come. They're not there. So, Job wasn't there, obviously. So, if you're not there, how can you tell? And as you go through this, this passage, go, go home today and read chapters 38 through 41 of Job. It's not that long. It won't take you that long. And, and, and hey, it's a whole lot better, than, better than, 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 than most of the NFL football games you'd find anyhow. Um, so, yeah, go ahead and read this and see how God speaks to Job and how he reminds him time and again, we don't know it all. In fact, we'll never know it all. I love this from the sermon, from the sermon passage today. Going over there. Can you lift up your voice to the clouds that a flood of water may cover you? Can you send forth the lightning? No. Can you number the clouds by wisdom? Now, folks, I have, I, I have made it freely known. When it comes time for weather, I trust one man on this planet. I trust James Spann. I mean, now, hey, James Spann, is, he's one of my bookmarks. I check James Spann in the morning to see, to see what I'm going to wear and see how things are going to go and everything like that. But every so often, even James Spann lays an egg. Every so often, he just flat out blows it. And, and, and hey, we're here in October. Folks, we're only a few months away from seeing James Spann blow it with increasing regularity. There's not a person on this planet that, can, that knows what they're talking about when it comes to snow in Alabama. And every so often, though, he, uh, no, especially around here, no, we're, a little, we're still a little skittish about bad weather for, for very good reason. How many of y'all checked James Spann this past week when he said bad weather was going to come through on Wednesday night? How many of you kind of batting down the hatches and everything thinking, oh my, let me make sure I've got my weather radio together and all this stuff. Boy, that, I'm telling you what, if you'd, if you'd read James Spann on, on Monday or Tuesday, you just thought, oh no, here we go again on Wednesday night. How many of us slept through it? Yeah. He missed it. Even with all the science and technology they have, they still can't get the weather right. And if we can't get the weather right, with all the technology we have, how can we think we can figure out anything else? How many of us here really understands how that technology works in the first place? 
Uh, I, I remember reading one time, keep in mind, I kind of read about these things, uh, things a good bit. I remember reading one time, a time where one of the computer scientists who designs the chips and everything said, we're not really certain exactly how all that stuff works on, the, on, on a small level. You get down to the quantum level and folks, it's almost completely unexplainable at how those contraptions work. And yet, absolutely, positively, every single bit of it came into existence when God spoke. And we may not understand it, but He does. And as you go through this passage, you start to see, we don't know. We can't explain certain things. Oh, man, we want to. Oh, wow, I want to know why this person gets sick and why this person over here who's just an absolute heathen, just uh, everything he touches turns to gold. I want to know. If I knew I'd write the book, I'd retire. I'd never again have to worry, have to worry about bivocationalism. Hey, I could, I, I could pastor the church off the proceeds of the book. It'd be great. But you know, we don't know how God works in so many ways. And yet, when it comes down to it, here's one thing that we do know. And here's where you've got to pull this stuff in and make, and make sure you understand this. If you want to know how God really works, you can read the book of Job and you'll get a whole lot of questions. But if you read the Gospels, you get a whole lot of answers. Chapter 30, chapters 38 through 41 of Job constitute one of the longest speeches you will ever find by Almighty God until you get to the Gospels. And when you get to the Gospels, God speaks through His Son, Jesus. And so many people want to know, when will God make everything right? When will He start righting the wrongs? When will He start correcting and judging the unjust and start bringing justice to the world? When will he start making everything back the way it's supposed to? Well, if you want to know God's ultimate answer, go to the Gospels and see Jesus. Because in a way completely, completely beyond human understanding, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. And... Nobody would have expected that. The Jews didn't expect that. The Jews thought that when the Messiah would come, now keep in mind folk theology here, they pretty much had it figured out, well, he's going to ride down on a big white horse from heaven, he's going to beat the Romans up and kick them out, and all this stuff, and everybody will know exactly who the Messiah is. We'll recognize him. And then when he appeared, none of them recognized him. None of them was looking for a simple builder from Nazareth. None of them was looking for a man to walk into John the Baptist camp and ask to be baptized. Never crossed their minds. None of them was looking for a man from Nazareth to walk into the temple and clean house and refer to God as his father. None of them. And then, in one of the greatest things that still baffles people today, when it came down to God really doing something about the wrongs of the world, Jesus submitted himself to an unjust trial and to death by crucifixion. 
And that's one of the things that just blew the Greeks' minds as the gospel went out of Jerusalem and out of, Jude, out of Judaism and went into the Gentile areas. The Greeks couldn't figure it out. What do you mean preaching about this guy crucified? We all know that crucified people don't come back to life. We all know that when the Romans kill somebody, they stay dead. And yet, as Paul pointed out to the Corinthians, the Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Folks, we'll never understand why God chose to atone for our sins and to ensure our salvation through a Roman crucifixion. We'll never understand it. But we know it happened. We'll never understand how Jesus defeated death but we can still reap the rewards of that, of that victory. Because when it comes down to it, the ultimate answer that God could give Job came centuries later in an empty tomb. And the answers to a lot of the questions that you have about life, that tomb is going to be the only answer you're going to get this side of eternity. Oh, don't worry, I have my questions too. I have a ton of them. Matter of fact, uh, I, I read that joke about the guy who says he's got to take some of his wealth with him to heaven and he shows up and he's got a whole bunch of gold because God says, okay, you can take one suitcase, what you going to do? He shows up and St. Peter looks in the suitcase and says, you mean to tell me you brought pavement up here? Um, see, I don't, I, I don't care anything about taking the gold. I don't care about any of that, that stuff. I want to take questions. I'm a questioning kind of guy. It's got me in more trouble than I even care to imagine. Uh, it probably got me in some trouble I didn't even know I was in. But anyhow, I've got my questions, and I want to take my questions with me when I go into, go into eternity. And I have a feeling that when I finally see the face of God, when I finally understand that through the atoning sacrifice of His Son and through His Son's victory over sin and death, I can stand there justified before Him. I have a feeling that all the questions that John Alexander thought so important in his life will completely flee my memory and I'll never experience those questions again for all of eternity. And you know what? I'll be content with that. I'll be content with that. Here's what it comes down to, y'all. If I worshipped a God that I could figure out completely, I'd worship an awful small God. Because I'd never worship a God bigger than anything I could understand. And I praise God that I worship a God that's far infinitely greater than anything I can understand. And of course, there's a great quote by this guy. I know, know my favorite author. Thank you. Uh, Fear Christianity. He says, reality, in fact, is usually something you could not have guessed. This is one of the reasons I believe Christianity. It is a religion you could, you could not have guessed. If it offered us just the kind of universe we had always expected, I should feel we were making it up. But in fact, it is not the sort of thing anyone would have made up. It has just that queer twist about it that real things have. You see, folks, we'll never figure out the mind of God in this life. We'll never figure out anything that He has tried to reveal to us until we see Jesus first. When we come to the cross... 
we find the answer to human, to human sin. When we come to the cross, we find the answer to our alienation from our Creator. When we come to the cross, we find that He does care about us. And when we come to an empty tomb, we find all the answers we need right there. It doesn't mean that it's time for us to stop questioning. No, not even close. Folks, there, folks God gave us minds to reason and gave us rational thought. He expects us to do that. He expects us to use it. But He also expects us to understand that some things in this life we will never understand and we'll have to accept by faith that He does. And here's one of the most beautiful answers that we will ever receive about the mysteries of this life. You go over to the book of Revelation and God makes it abundantly crystal clear. He's making a new heaven and a new earth. And in that new heaven and new earth, we'll never have to worry about the experience, about, about the wages of sin. We'll never have to worry about the ravages of sin. We'll never have to worry about temptation, about sickness, about death, about accidents, none of that. It's all gone. We'll never again have to worry about war. We'll never again have to worry about disagreements between nations. We'll never again have to worry about, uh, worry about any kind of oppression or anything like that. In that new heaven and new earth, God himself will dwell with us and we will be his people and he shall be our God. We'll not have to wait for a whirlwind to show up and try to explain a few things or desperately cry out for a whirlwind that can explain things. He will live with us for all of eternity. And folks, in that new heaven and new earth, we will receive the definitive, majestic answer to God's love for us. Yes, I do love you enough to bring you here to live with me for all of eternity. And that's the love that's available to every person on this planet, to all who will believe. Everyone who will believe in Jesus will receive that answer. And if you haven't believed at this point, now's a great time to start. The Bible tells us if you confess Jesus as Lord, believing God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. And in that salvation you will experience that new heaven and new earth. And uh, if now maybe you've already made that, made that profession. If that's the case, he wants to unite you with the congregation, as we said this morning in Sunday school. Now, you're not going to get any kind of help living the Christian life outside, of, outside of, uh, of Christianity. But you come together with a congregation, we worship and encourage one another and strengthen one another and help each other out. It's one of the greatest things that God has given us in this life. He's given us fellowship, quinonia, that intimate relationship with, uh, with other believers. Folks, God has answers for us. Sometimes we need to know if we're asking the right questions. We do know this. He has answered definitively the question of sin on the cross and through an empty tomb. And I invite you today to join us on our walk of faith. As we, as we go through this life in the, in the victory of that cross and that empty tomb. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.